Hello, Slate Plus. How are you? Hope you had a good week. I have busy, rainy, wet. What follows is a very special Slate Plus segment. Not special in that kind of after-school special, a very special episode. Not like that. It's just awesome. As part of Slate's 20th anniversary celebration, we were asked to reminisce about our years doing the podcast. And the Slate Plus segment that follows is the conversation that John and Emily and I had about our 10 years doing the GabFest, about why we do it, why we still do it, what we get out of it, and perhaps most deliciously, some of our favorite segments. And there are excerpts from some of our favorite segments in the conversation that follows. So take a listen. And also know that our friends at the Culture Gab Fest and Double X and Hang Up and Listen have also made similar segments. And if you check out your Slate Plus podcast feed, there is a special podcast extra that compiles all four of these conversations. And it is truly delightful. They are really fun. So thanks for your membership and enjoy the conversation. Hello, Slate Plus. Uh, we've been asked as part of Slate's really long 20th anniversary celebration. It seems to have been taking Oh, come place. on. Be celebratory. Okay, sorry. That is not nice. All right. As part of Slate's glorious 20th anniversary celebration, which is just the right length, we've been asked to talk about our 10 years on the podcast because I think... Maybe you're feeling sheepish about how long we've been doing the show. Well, it's true. But I, I did notice that in the, a lot of the discussions, the the felling about Slate and its anniversary, a lot of it is focused like... You know, Slate has this great, glorious history in that if you look at the last 10 years, the highlight is the creation of this podcast world, which we've been so central to and had such fun with. But it is very important to, I think, Slate's identity and the fact that they have this whole new company panoply is spun out of it is is uh, indicative. But anyway, we, so obviously podcasting has been really important to Slate. It's been important to us. And we were asked by the Slate Plus powers that be to talk about our history with the podcast. And so we can, I would say we should talk about two things. One, we should just like riff about things we've liked, why we do it, et cetera. And the other sort of favorite segments that we had uh, and why we're still doing it. Like all of us have left Slate officially, Slate proper, oh, and we're they, still here. They should really just fire us. They yeah, should just... fire us. They should fire us. They, don't know, they, may, they haven't figured out how. If they could replace us with younger Versions. Younger, cannier versions. Surely those people are right yeah. outside the door clamoring to get in. Why are you still Emily? So you left for the New York Times magazine right around when I left, a little bit after I left. We so two all years ago. left at, or the, at the same, same moment. Time. So why are you still podcasting? Because after? I love you guys. I have so much fun talking to you. And because it's part of my thinking every mm. week. It's part of how I absorb the news, think about my own ideas, try out arguments. I think of it as completely integral to my own reporting and analysis. To the extent I have a process, it is often very much intimately connected to preparing and, and doing the show. What about you? John? Exact same reason. I mean, it's always been crucial to my thinking because of the the way you get to out loud, like play with ideas and see if you're right and not if you're right. And then you guys sharpen them or make them better. Or sometimes now that I'm not writing as much as I used to, I assign myself stories so that I know what I think before the broadcast on Sunday. And that's essentially what this is, is like assigning yourself a weekly rigorous discussion 
of whatever happens to be in the news, but also the stuff. Think about all the things that we brought here that are a part of the ruminations we have in our daily life. And because of both of you two, I think about things that carries on to the previous days of the week, not because I'm preparing for the show, but just the I keep using this term now, which I think I stole from David, <laughs> which is the habits of mind that get that, definitely that you take that on, up, by the way. <laughs> What's that? I definitely didn't coin that. Oh, I, I know, st- but, it, but you've used it. Yeah. <laughs> It becomes the habit of the way you think about things to to look for root causes, to look for context, to look, to think about essential questions, to just examine the world in a kind of gabfest way all the time, not just because you're preparing material for Thursday or whenever we taped that week. Uh, plus, of course, the delightful company. And for my in my case, there's an actual book that exists as a result of the gabfest, as a result of you two and chatters and then the creation of Whistle Stop, and then the creation of a book. There is a, like, absolutely direct line between this. And and by the way, that direct line is the actualization of one of the things that I enjoy the most about working. So it's a delight. And to have discovered a delight through something that you do is, like, pretty much the goal, no. right? <laughs> we should also all talk about how much we enjoy the feedback from our listeners. Oh I mean, yeah. we have loved meeting you. We loved hearing from you. We feel kind of a part, like we have this weird, unearned kind of right. cultish presence in the world. It's like a kind of secret password that gets passed around. One of my favorite memories about the show is uh, several years ago, I was at the planetarium near my house. It was pitch blackout with my kids and someone heard my voice and said, hey, are you Emily Bazelot? And my kids were totally weirded out. But it was super fun that it in that, you know, equally but different nerdy setting, right. um, someone would anyway. We've Listen. all – it's always a good interaction and vibe. I have, it happens to me quite a lot. My favorite moment of those was when I was – I may have told this story before, but we were somewhere in Brooklyn. My family, we were up spending the weekend in New York, and we were at the Smorgasburg in Williamsburg. And my kids were just being beasts, or maybe I was being a beast. They were, like, down the block, and I was just screaming at them. <laughs> <laughs> and someone made me for my screams and was like, hi, hey. <laughs> big fan. Like, thank you. Hello, let me. <laughs> um, but you know, one thing that just about the many wonderful people who've come up and said hello, one of the more recent ones was when I was trying to get my bag from uh, US Air, which had lost one of my bags, and I was in that depressing little room that they have, is the joy that people have. I mean, so if you can do something that creates that right. kind of joy right. in people, right. oh my God. Right. I mean, uh, that is really no, it is meaningful. A, yeah. I mean, just to add my answer to the question, it's the same. I do it because I love you guys and I love being with you. And I have the opposite because this is no longer part of my process because I don't really do politics in my professional life anymore. And this doesn't have anything to do with it. But for me, it's almost like exercise or something. It's a way for me to keep mentally fit and healthy. And for I was just trying to think, like, what is, when is it that I realized that I wanted to do this stuff? When is it that I realized the podcast mattered? And several different moments, there was like, uh, you know, the first time someone stopped me on the street because they recognized my voice. But then when we did the our first live show in 2009, in, in January DC. 2009, right before Obama's inauguration in D.C. and walking into that room, or actually, I think walking to Sixth and I and seeing the line yes. outside. And we couldn't believe anyone We couldn't believe it. We just couldn't <laughs> believe it. And that moment that like, oh, my God, this thing that we do in, in a small room together just for kicks. Yes has this impact in the world and like 
created a relationship with people and 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 a psychic connection with them was awesome. Yeah, and 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 also that connection is about also makes me raise my game both for here but just in thinking in general. You want to do right by those people. You know, when people come up and feel that kind of joy and trust and uh, care for the show, you don't want to like let them down, which is a great thing to call you to your task, right? Better than you know the other things people use to motivate them uh, in their work, whether it's money or fame or snacks in the commissary. Snacks, there are no snacks. Well, okay, let's talk a little bit about favorite moments in Gaffes history. We'll do, we'll round robin it. Let's do it just quickly. Each of us can just name one. We'll riff on it for a minute. So, Emily. The best moments are always the big fights, and our biggest fight ever was over John Edwards, in which our producer at the time, Bill Smee, was so moved to rage and irritation that he joined in the fray. And it was the most obvious moment to pick, but it made us realize that combat was our um, best, <laughs> our best approach. And so we just need to seek out more things to have fights about. Although they, they kind them. of just have to pop up. They do. We can't manufacture ah. them successfully. But when they appear and they're real, they're so fun and satisfying. Right. But I think it, I think the there has to be a pretty good amount of padding between them. I think that it's, right. If we it can't had be a, a big shout fight show. like yeah, that every, every week, we'd right. run, right. yes. Right. No, that's true. But that one, I went, because we were going to talk about this, I went and listened to that again, which I hadn't listened to probably since we did it. And it was it was, all, you, it was you and Bill mostly going at it. And it was fantastic. It was not supposed to be part of the show. We just, like, let it roll and then ended up saying, well, we'll include it, even though it's hugely profane and we're really out of control during it. But it was gripping. It was gripping even eight years later. I'm so angry at you. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this bad judgment? It's not bad judgment. Bill, no, well, I'll see you now. Come on. If, if the standard is, I mean, it's bad. He lied. Anyone who is a cheater or who has a child out of wedlock is essentially lying to his family. But that, if that's your standard, that's actually in this day and age a pretty low bar. Wait, also, no, what? No, no. Wait, what also, wait, no. wait a minute. I, wait, yeah, exactly. Like, wait a minute. Wait, how? He's not, what he's evidence not do you have? A deadbeat dad. He hasn't. I mean, he may very well be a deadbeat dad. We don't. Know. But wait a minute, uh, Emily. I don't care. I deserve to know about it. I'm a voter. Like it, but, it's. But totally how does this reflect on his character? How does it reflect on his what fucking character? About, Bill, wait, if you come on. Wait, wait, wait. One of us had some affair. Wait, how do you know he's? Wait, how do you know the inquirers? Wait, how do you know that it's his love child? I don't. I'm just saying. But you're saying you should. You should. They should take the most prejudiced view and nail him on it without any. Without him being able to. Because no, of that course is it's not unfair. Fair. I did not say let, that. Let I'm not. But wait a minute. That's my point. But wait, you said he was. You said these guys. He's like Elliot Spitzer. You already put him in Spitzer's camp. You already did this. But if he did this, but it's not a fair fight. No, but the f he hasn't denied it. You said yourself you thought he did it. Did I? Yes, yesterday I asked you. No, no, no. Did I say that the story was right of him in the hallway? Yeah, That's got to be what true. What the fuck else do you think he was doing in the hallway? I don't know, but it's not my choice. He hasn't explained. I'm listening. Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, when, when women get nailed for, for on sexual harassment, they say, well, they never came forward. Anita Hill never came forward. I mean... You know, how can we believe her all this That's time? She totally never came for That's I, silence I, in the face of nobody knowing about something and not someone asking you. The, oh, the you whole world is listening. Like, that's Yeah, but doesn't that add, doesn't it make it all that much more possible for him to tell?
tell the story in whatever complexity there is. Which is, even though I have never and I will never cheat on my wife, and we are dead eye honest, and I think people who do are fucked up, I actually believe that it is not necessarily a character flaw that, that that is I mean so many people cheat and so many marriages fail he beca- he's not, not a moralizer so he's not a hypocrite does this really mean he's not Well a no first of all he, he is a moralizer and he is a hypocrite Oh come on they they throw that family in our face uh, every uh, fucking uh, second second and also we're not arguing about whether he How has a character flaw we're arguing about whether this is a relevant piece of information to American for Americans to evaluate him that's the question. But, but, but because like, they, because you're looking for the character flaw. It's relevant because he might have a character flaw. That's, I guess, my point. It's relevant because what he was doing was scandalous. And unless there is an explanation for it, of course. Plus, like, we live in a country in which there is a paparazzi press. There is the National Enquirer. And, if, and he well, knew they were after him. And if you are stupid enough to go visiting your love child and your woman in the middle of the night with the fucking Enquirer on your tail, I do not want you to be my attorney general. Did you know I'm he sorry. Was, did you know he was on the tail? They, did he knew they'd he knew written they'd stories about him. Out. How do you, no, they haven't been stalking him out. I, whatever, Where does it say they that? They, they wrote about You can't bring facts and evidence that aren't in the case. Fine. I'll, let's just go with no, this. No, no, but come they on. They wrote, wrote a story about it seven months ago. He knew he was on the, you know, vice presidential. He's being talked about. And he knew that like the people in the media talked about this. I mean, it's written about. There's a you know a bubbling of it. So, but he doesn't know that he's. Fo- he just knows it's in the. It's he in doesn't the know that at that moment he was being followed. Clearly, or well, he wouldn't have been there. Well, but so but my, let me just but you're suggesting he did. Point. But but wait, on the judgment no. question, you're suggesting he did and went ahead anyway. Like no, like I'm like, suggesting that he should Larry, be smart like enough. Hart. If you want to be considered for attorney general, you should be smart enough to realize that if the paparazzi press is after you, you do not belong skulking around. But he, we, he didn't know that they're after him. No, no, he knew that they could have been, and that is enough for me. That is enough. That actually more than your other points, but I. I still say this to me. I, I have no problem with being reported, but I don't think it disqualifies him. But but uh, that's, that's what people that's can fine. do. People that's can fine. Do. I disagree with. Oh, you that's about fine. That. But that's, that's the attorney general part. Right. No, this is like. But I never, but, t- never mind the attorney. But think vice president. president. Right. But they're you're agreeing with them because they're saying let everybody know and except people can make the decision. You did. Down that slope, I say. Well, so what are we evaluating him for? And I just think the threshold really. I do think the hypocrisy factor. You're trumping up. They threw that family in our face. What Paul? I mean, yeah, his wife's got cancer. He happens to have been married. I mean, I, I don't know that th- that's not the same as someone who sits and sermonizes about, yeah. you know, family values. No, it's not way. the same. But also drawing the distinction like that just gets Republicans on the hook and Democrats off. And no, that's bullshit. Like, no, it's no, not it's, true. How's that? He wait, is a lawyer. He's being talked about for attorney general and vice president. I don't want my vice president to be someone who's going to bring down well, the Democratic You keep saying this law can't. thing. He hasn't broken any laws. This isn't like Elliot Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer broke a fucking law. Maybe. Okay. But the, the charge is... I do not think you can be a credible attorney general with this in your past. Are I you don't. serious? Yes, no. I you serious. can't, I mean, you can't... Head of HHS, maybe. Labor secretary, maybe. Attorney general? Okay. What, no. with a, what, with what in your past? Just a, the, the affair of the love child? Yeah, let's or just the... imagine that this is true for Emily a second. Emily believes that lawyers... Clean. They walk. Clean. They walk in the clouds. There's a slightly I, higher I, I, standard. standard. I can't wait till the next confirmation hearing. Yeah. I guarantee you that there are zillions of. Okay, yes, uh, you know they're right. They have. Of course. No, of course. But you know what? I think. I think. I don't think it's disqualified. I think this is one of these things where you can have evolving standards about this stuff, like we have on drugs. Like people's drug use, you know, twenty years ago, had you been a cocaine user, an avad cocaine that's user, a, you would you'd be totally disqualified. And you know, 
things have now you can be present. We should be going the other direction because 20 years ago, the mere whiff of an extramarital affair or even being divorced was like, pff, I mean, Ronald Reagan was the first right. So we're going. Yeah, and maybe so now we should be going the more relaxed. Well, the question is, I say cut him some slack. Yeah, fine, cut him some slack, but only after you know about it. Like maybe that's fine. Maybe we should be more like the French, but that doesn't mean that we can't be interested in these things. I mean, well, the conversation X factor is like from Melinda being like, you know, I would hate to be that you know, reporter out there in the hallway. You know what? If I stumbled on that oh, story, I, I would have published it That's in bullshit. I agree. I, yeah. I've been with the Acquirer for ages. Right. They're, they're righteous. They're, the, they have really they clever lawyers. Really the, the, the question yeah. here, though, is not whether the Inquirer should have done it. It's whether mainstream, the mainstream press should do it. Well, and now that it's out there, of course they should pick it up. It's ridiculous. But, it was, but it's what's your standard for out there? Story. Well, that's, that's but that's, the Enquirer published it and he didn't deny it. Let's well, ask him oh, what the hell is boy, going on. Setting the bar a little <laughs> <laughs> but wait, I don't think, can you really be of the view that people who just don't deny things are guilty of the worst, worst no, extremity I of the sin? No, I want someone to ask him in a way that he might answer what he was doing in the hotel. Like, if I had an interview with him yeah. tomorrow, I would ask him that question. Yeah, he doesn't have to answer. He doesn't have to answer, but it's, we can judge him prejudicially because of it, and we can assume. Wait, is that right? Is that the do we do we find that it's always the case that people who because of the forum and clearly this is a situation in which he's not going to he's not going to get the upper hand of this conversation mm-hmm. that we shouldn't recognize that that he's under. Let's say it's a complicated story. Who knows what the real story is? She could have been blackmailing him. A variety of things I could think have been happening. That's happened. a really interesting question. And so the question is: Do we? He's never going to get a fair hearing. So shouldn't we, because we're responsible and want people in life to have fair hearings, create a system in which people aren't always like, okay, here's a spotlight. Go, go. You got to answer. Oh, not good enough. Bye. You're, you're done. We're assuming the worst about I you. I think that's a really interesting there, there could be other explanations. No evidence for them, but no necessarily evidence that it's her, that it's his love child. That's right. Right, but you know there could be other explanations. He's free to give them or not give them as he chooses. He's not in a. He's not going to be prosecuted for not giving this explanation or giving an explanation. Right. He's not. He's not. You know, he's not going to be impeached. Press exercise restraint until more of that information comes out. Ask him the question if he chooses not to. Let's not. Have no. What? What? Everyone in the mainstream press should be republishing the. Allegations. No, they should be asking it. They should be Fine. moving the story forward. Well, they probably are. But if but if they can't, then does re, does presenting the story essentially as the Inquirer did, which lets us leads us all no, to believe that it's his love child. Forward. He wants could, can't wait to get back to her. Um, Look, it all depends where you're situated in that press. Should there be a front page New York Times news story that simply regurgitates Inquirer? No. Should like some columnist write about it? Yes. Oh well, that's a totally different standard. I mean, that's the columnist standard versus the front page, the, right. versus anywhere in the news page is a totally different standard. And in fact, of course, columnists but the news should pages write. should columnists go after the story. Well, right. Yeah. But they should go after the story. But the question is, why haven't they published it based on what they've got so far? What's the bar? Is well, the bar they don't have I mean, or is the bar his role in life. They, well, they don't have I mean, I think presumably they haven't gone after it because they don't have anything to add to it. Right. And I so think what's any, holding them back I bet. I bet, and if the New York Times had stumbled on this, they would have published it. Oh, is, so is your point? So is your point? It's a competitive thing. Like they yeah. can't. They yeah. can't. Yeah. But if they had, if they had, a, if they had some yeah. new evidence, they would do that's it. Right. The but no, it's not. No, no, no. That's totally not. That's not the true. Times they, 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 the Post try to ignore every story that they've gotten beat on. It's only but, when they have to, when their feet are held to the fire, and it's fucking embarrassing that they'll be like, as force reported in. They hate that. Publish when they find some ridiculous political angle. Yeah. Right, but you know they. They right. Although they didn't, they didn't have to worry about all that when Bill Clinton's affair was first published in the Inquirer. I mean, the whole Jennifer Flowers thing was midwifed by the Inquirer, and they they went with that. Now she also had well, she also had a 
she also yeah. but see now you're going back to the standard of where no, we're I'm trying to find explaining. Is, I'm not no, saying I'm just I'm simply saying that's why they did that thing. Right. If Edwards was a candidate now, we would know more about this story right. than we do. So the I'm question not saying is, it's good right. or, and like, so what I'm wondering is where you draw where where the line is. If it's evolving standard and we have to know we can all, I think, agree that it's evolving standards and standards in some cases should evolve. But at some point, somebody's got to say, OK, we've evolved from here to here. Now let's stop because we're starting to trample I, on other things. I will bet you some sum of money that in within the next two weeks, even if there's no news advanced, there will be a New York Times news analysis yeah. story about John Edwards is pro- why John Edwards is not being considered on the short list for Obama's and nomination. And they like, will mention this and it will bring that in. And that's why story. I was glad something. that we yeah. had Jack writing about this today oh, yeah. and that we were talking about an X Factor because, like, to the extent that we're some sort of bridge, like, this is totally legitimate. Oh, I think that's, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't have a view. Hmm, we all this. agree. We I don't have yeah. a view in this. I'm yeah. just, I'm I playing. going to shoot me in the beginning. It's my role as a, uh, as Did a you question. catch all this? Yeah. Um, John. The moment I remember the most, I don't know, maybe it's because people brought this up the most, though, was when I was on the phone in Denver and we were doing the post, I guess, must have been post Obama analysis show. And then Sarah Palin was named while I was on the phone. Right. I don't know. That race itself was so interesting and we were kind of still relatively new at that point and it just kind of and we uh, had to react to her instantly yeah. as this character who had just appeared but john on had game on that i remember you yes. knew you knew about her and in fact i think you'd previewed her you'd sort of predicted right. her vaguely because we i think we'd had a previous we, discussion about yeah. women that that a republican yeah. could pick or that mccain and emily could pick. and i definitely had not heard of her <laughs> definitely we like, not alaska heard of her. is that <laughs> where's that well, that feels like it was a good moment all right the one uh i'll pick for the moment in this round i loved the in our live show must have been maybe it was last year april 2015 it must have been around the 150th anniversary of abraham lincoln's assassination (laughs) we shticked it up and did a segment as though it was 1865 just after lincoln's assassination and we were pundits i just liked it i liked the performance of it and I thought it was really funny, and uh, and it was your pulled... idea, and we were skeptical. I was super skeptical, and it like it worked. It was totally worth doing. What do you think the president's death does to the efforts to bring the secesh states back into back into the union? Why is that what you're concerned about now? The southern states. What about the people who live in them, whose rights have been trampled for all these years? What do we do to help all these black people who are newly free, who are going to need to gain their footing, are going to need help financially to get started, and who are going to need legal rights, which, you know, okay, we passed the 13th Amendment, but that does not get us where we need to go. Why is your first concern these states and their rights? I mean, I think, Emily, we're, you know, we've, we've, had a a, we've had a terrible war. And I think it's as I think President Johnson will articulate soon this. We have to stop thinking of ourselves as two nations, one blue and one gray, that we're really we're a kind of blue gray nation now. And that that the important thing that we need to do is to bring these states back into the union very quickly to let them recover from the war and for the government in Washington to sort of focus on things like the Transcontinental Railroad, to focus on national issues and not to concern itself so much with with what's happened. John. Look, it's... <laughs> that Transcontinental Railroad. That's you one know, for the... Yeah, I'm the sure Transcontinental all, Railroad look, is a very important it, issue, Emily. So, Infrastructure. you guys are both nuts. 
let's think for a minute here about the horror of the thing. I mean, my, you know, my mind is a world. There's not just the horror of his death, but you can't walk uh, anywhere now in the aftermath without passing a building covered in crate. People are in tears in the street. It's impossible to pass anybody who's not wearing a black armband. And this is the last casualty of the war. There will be other people who died. This is the last casualty of the war. And, I mean, as you know, my relationship with the president was strained. But... It was? He was never clear whether you were a Republican or a Democrat, John. And it never will be. But, you know, a week before this happened, he had a dream. And he went... In the dream, he went down into the White House and saw an aide who said, who he asked what happened, and they said, the president is dead. And yet, in conversation, he always said, I could wear chain mail and never be protected. No one will come assassinate the president. And so, like, he called his own killing, his own death. John, I, I mean, I, I applaud your sense of the gravity of the moment. And I think it's, you, you're right that this is a, this is a horror unknown in American history. We have, after, you know, nearly a hundred years, we have not had a, a president killed. We've never had a, our leader killed. And this is a change, but this is a, also a moment where the tide of history is moving very, very quickly. We have, the war has ended and we have to start to make very fast decisions about what's going to happen. And the time we spend in mourning over President Lincoln, a great captain of our country. The time we spend in mourning is time that is not spent in bringing Alabama and Georgia and South Carolina back into the Union and getting our troops home out of the South and in moving the country forward. And, 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 and so I'm interested in like how we're going to deal with the radical Republicans who are going to be attempting to, so, to okay. foist things right. on this country when really we need to move forward. So his idea was keep the union, right? So how do you keep the union? Do you punish or do you forgive? Right? You want to re-knit the union? So what do you do with all those Confederate soldiers? It's okay. You're back in. Just pledge allegiance to the union and you're back I in. I just don't see how the Confederate soldiers are our priority right there now. There are more of them, and they are going to live in this portion of the country. What are you going to do with them? But you can't ship them off to sea. there are all these people who literally are destitute and need sustenance, need help figuring out how to live their own lives. And this is the window. This is the moment of opportunity to give them the kind of legal rights and the beginning of political power. And they don't even have equal rights under the law. It's very yeah, unclear are... who they are, legally speaking, and how we're going to make sure that they rise up. Yeah, except that if you give them the vote, you'll have a revolt in the North, as in well the North? as the South. Why? Why is there a Vulcan? In, because in of the all North? the people in the North who, who uh, are fine with a union, and maybe even it's okay that they're free. But only Thaddeus Stevens and a few others feel like they should well, get I mean, the I vote. think you, what you forget is that Emily is sort of an apologist for Senator Stevens. That, that is, that's, <laughs> that, that she is a, she's a stenographer for, for Senator Stevens' views. I will take that over being an apologist for Andrew Johnson any day. <laughs> I you think, know, it is, it is worth noting President that Johnson, will, you know, is going to be I, I interested, Emily, actually, let's let's talk about this. What do you think President Johnson is going to have to do to win your vote in 1868? Oh, wait, you don't have a vote. I <laughs> forgot. But I have a voice 
on this stage. And I don't think there's anything. I think the idea that Andrew Johnson is going to be the answer and that he can really stand in Lincoln's shoes. I mean, this is an enormous loss that the country is going to pay for for a very long time. While it may or may not have been carried off successfully, it, what I like about it is the um, the entire show exists as this kind of larky experiment, you know, which is the spirit of Slate and the spirit of a lot of our conversation in a world of trolls where you're not allowed to say anything for the purposes of rhetorical experimentation or for the purposes of argument or to do anything in the search of understanding because the trolls will grab the sentence and then run off with it. The whole spirit of experimentation of the show and yeah, and even the argumentation is totally antithetical to that. And so it is in force against the narrowing of the internet mind that's healthy for me and I think healthy more broadly. Okay. And now, John, what's another segment that you like? What's oh, another? we're going to continue. We're going to do two rounds. We'll do two rounds. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Not, okay. not, not forever. What's our uh, – how do we describe our uh, – is he our most famous listener, Stephen Colbert? Yeah, He's, I think so. But when he came up on stage on the show and uh, – Surprise surprise, uh, Yeah, surprise visit at the show. And then, you know, actually had listened to the show. I mean it's like when people – talk about the show and have actually listened it's really uh it's nice to hear and it was um his his chatter also was great i not only do i listen every week to this gab fest i go back and listen to old ones <laughs> like i was just listening to you guys wondering what rick perry would mean to the race <laughs> and 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 uh uh david you take more risks than than Emily or John do we in your like prediction. Thank you. Thank you really do. What did yeah. I say, Rick Perry? He was going to be president. Perry. You were actually this one. You were actually asking, like, what does this mean, John? And John said he could very well blow up on the launch pad. You're lying. No, you said you said you said these are all the reasons why he's great. But who knows? Oh yeah. There's plenty of reasons for him to blow up on the launch pad. That's see, that's why you don't take risks. Yeah, yeah. You you were like, you know, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, yeah. and <laughs> and in Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Gildor is this elf who says to Frodo, "Ask not advice of the elves; they will tell you both yes and no." <laughs> you are so elvish. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm happy to be here, and thank you for having me, and I'm thrilled. Um, I have a, I have a, I have a, uh, I have a, I have a, a chatter. And that is about Richard Nixon, who is my president, because I'm older than all of you, I think. Who's the eldest of you guys? John, by a little bit. 44. I'm 44. I'm 48. Okay, I'm 48. So I'm just old enough to remember Nixon as actually being president, like actively and seeing speeches and that kind of stuff. And Watergate is very vivid to me because it interrupted the Munsters in the afternoon when I came home. Um, very similar, I thought. Yeah, extremely <laughs> similar hairlines between Grandpa and, and Richard Nixon. Right. But I was and fascinated. With, I was fascinated with Nixon as a child, and I'm the youngest of eleven children. So my older brothers and sisters would explain to me, especially my sister Margot, would explain to me why Watergate was important, why it was important that I couldn't watch the Beverly Hillbillies. Instead, I had to watch Senator Sam Irvin with the giant eyebrows, being just a country lawyer asking for answers. And so I, I despair that people forget Nixon's crimes. And I don't mean just Watergate, which is while it's, it's, you know, it's got a sexiness to it and bugging and that kind of stuff, is that like the, the, the war crimes of Nixon. I, I despair that people forget those, um, especially now with the 10th anniversary of the Iraq War, you know, having come and gone. Um, well, it was just the, 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 my chatter is about LBJ's library has released tapes that the, that the BBC has done uh, condensations of that say that 
while it was suspected for a long time that Nixon had helped prolong the, the, the boy, the Vietnamese, the Vietnam War in order to win against Humphrey in 68, the LBJ tapes say, no, that was true. LBJ had been bugging ambassadors' phones in the lead up to the peace talks um, with South and North Vietnam, and that LBJ is heard saying, our friend in California, the Republican nominee, seems to be working on both sides of North and the South to keep these peace talks from happening, and says, says in the recordings, well, you know, this is, this is probably treason, but I'm not going to tell anybody, because then they'd find out I'm bugging the ambassador's yeah. phone. <laughs> but he tells Humphrey, yeah. and Humphrey says, no need, I've got this one. <laughs> and Nixon did it for political advantage, because he said to the South Vietnamese, I'll give you a better deal. And part of his campaign was, the old peace with honor is, I'll get you a better deal. And, and he was able to use the mishandling of the, the Democrats' mishandling of the war as, as his victorious campaign. Now, of course, this led to the deaths of tens of thousands of people, shattered the trust of the American people to the American military establishment, to uh, trusting the president, um, and changed the, your people, your relationship to the president forever. And the, the depth of his selfish evil mustn't be forgotten. Because while he's not the only one, he's the er for me. Yeah. And the er for the American people, because he's the first one who had truly the adversarial relationship with the press, a press that was happy to engage in that adversarial relationship. Now, we just had the 10th anniversary of the Iraq War. A bare minimum of the American people think it was a bad idea now. You know, we've only been out 18 months totally. You know, officially military actions ended three years ago or August three years ago, something like that. 40 years on, a majority of people 18 to 34 think that Vietnam was the right thing. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That was, you buried your lead there. That's so I, I, may, I may be misquoting that. It may be younger, might be 18 to 24, but I'm shocked by both of those things. And so that's my chatter, and that's why I like it. That was a great moment along the way. And his, his character dissection of you was very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, that's one of his great talents. But yeah, no. And it was also it was it was both pro precise and I and I think flattering enough that, uh, you know, that was that's hard to do, too. when when we're being defined by someone else, Emily, you got any? Well, I remember nothing generally. So it's always hard for me to fish these out. But I am just going to use this to thank our producers over the years who've made the show so much yeah. better. And we actually barely talk about them. We love our current producer, Jocelyn Frank. We have had wonderful producers in the past. And I feel really lucky to have gotten to work with. There's such a like hidden side to audio. Mike Volo was with us for a long time, in particular. Andy Bouvet. Oh yeah. And of course, Andy Bowers, our godfather, our, our master creator. I mean, I just I didn't know anything about this whole world, and I continue to basically know nothing in any technical fashion. So I'm really grateful to That's all. That's such folks. a good point, and so true. Yeah. Uh, and all of our researchers and, and interns, interns along the way. It's true. Yes. Yeah. Well, that is that is for sure true. Also, all right. I'm gonna I'm just gonna name a couple more segments. One is the Emily not calling the cops segment, where Emily talked about why you shouldn't call the cops. That was great. That led to just weeks of great discussions. Yeah, I still hear about that, and I still think about that a lot too. 
I, yeah, I do too. I would say that of all the subjects we've ever talked about, that's the one which people raise with me in public, like that I've had more conversations about in general. And I, I, I'm more on your side probably than I was then. Though it was good that you disagreed yeah. with me. Um, I've loved our conundrum shows. I think those are great. Those have been, they're uneven, like they will be bad conundrums, but then the good ones are super fun. And I like the fight John and I had about Elliot Spitzer. We had a fight about that once. That was fun. Yeah. We had a good Robert E. Lee fight. We had a great too. Robert E. Lee fight. Yeah, that, that's right. It's funny. I was a the Robert E. Lee fight. Of course, I should have known it was coming, but I was like, I wasn't ready for it at all. So that was good. It was good. You hung in there. Yeah. Well, because I was right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I think we should go out on a laugh and the, g- the Dickersonian that giggle. The, the Dickersonian. G- you're so. I didn't wasn't even paying attention to what you just said, but I. You were absolutely wrong about Robert E. Lee. So. We can no, no, I wasn't, that. I wasn't about Lee that I was right. It was about history that uh, I was right. Oh, yeah. Uh. Yeah, no doubt. It's a long arc. There's <laughs> a long arc to history. Slate Plus, it has been a joy being with you the last 10 years, and I hope we're with you for another 10 and 10 more. Uh, so we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.